Welcome to another episode of the Joshua Mato Show, where we explore the software development world and the tools that make us even better as software engineers. Today's episode is particularly interesting for those who want to know more about some technologies and database management for Spring Boot. And we'll also cover a great way to interact with those databases in React. Whether you're starting your journey as a software engineer or a seasoned pro looking to expand your skill set, you're in the right place. In this episode, we will talk about React Query, JPA, JDBC, R2DBC, and their Spring libraries. So what exactly are these technologies and where did they make their debut? Why did they have to become an integral part of our development toolkit? I'll break it all down and hopefully it'll be easy to understand. React Query is a powerful library for fetching, caching, and updating databases. It helps the way we handle server state in our projects. JPA, or Java Persistence API, is a Java specification for accessing, persisting, and managing data between Java objects and relational databases. JDBC, short for Java Database Connectivity, is another Java API that enables Java programs to execute SQL statements and interact with the databases. And then there's R2DBC, a modern API for accessing databases using reactive programming model, a non-blocking approach to data access. We'll explore how each of these technologies has its own unique place in the development process and how they work together to create efficient, scalable, and robust applications. So stay tuned, whether you're a new software engineer looking to get a grip on these technologies or a junior developer aiming to deepen your understanding. This episode promises to be a treasure trove of information and insights and practical tips to help you navigate the complex yet fascinating world of software development with more confidence and clarity. Remember, you can always improve your software development experience with the right tools. First, we're focusing on a tool for React developers, React Query. Those of you who have worked on React applications are familiar with data fetching, synchronization, and state management. We all need a way to efficiently handle server data. Let's talk about the typical data fetching scenario. You're contacting a server, pulling data, and managing it within your app, which involves handling and loading states, managing potential errors, and making requests. You could rely on use effect or use state, but this can quickly become burdensome as your app grows. You'll find some of the tools React Query has will help address issues by providing mechanisms that take care of the fetching and saving and updating server data without the need for manual intervention or redundant network request. It introduces two main functionalities. Use Query for fetching and observing your data. Use mutation for creating, updating, or deleting data. These functions are designed to streamline the process, reduce the server load, and enhance performance. It was introduced around 2020, and I usually use it with my React apps. And here is where I want to talk about databases. Ultimately, those requests and states that we deal with in most React apps connect to a database. I want to paint a picture for you of how your front ends and back ends interact. Typically, our back end has a controller that accepts requests using some protocols such as HTTP. This is then generally separated by a service layer where most of your business logic is that will call your repository. In a Spring Boot app, there are a few flavors of repositories. Still, it's essential to know how your applications connect and what technologies they use to store and manipulate data. Database technologies like JDBC have been the standard for 
connecting Java applications to databases. There's also a shift towards more reactive patterns, particularly with frameworks like Spring Boot. We see the emergence of R2DBC, this modern take on database connectivity. Built to support reactive streams and non-blocking database access, it fits perfectly with the reactive nature of modern applications. Whether your Spring Boot application uses synchronous capabilities of the JDBC or reactive non-blocking features of R2DBC, React Query on the front is an efficient conduit. There is another that does this well with reactive streams, RxJS, which can be covered in another podcast. In essence, React Query is a great tool for interacting with databases. We touched on it briefly, but it's good to think about how your applications work across an entire stack as a full stack developer and what tools you can use to help you. Whether you choose to use the JDBC for its stability and familiarity or R2DBC for non-blocking capabilities, React Query can work with both. So whether you're dealing with massive data sets, real-time updates, or need a reliable way to work with server state, think of using React Query as a good starting point to interact with your Spring Boot backend. Okay, let's jump into the backend of our Spring Boot app and look at some technologies. First up, the cornerstone of data persistence is in Spring Boot is the Java Persistence API, or JPA. JPA bridges the object-oriented world of Java and the relational world of databases. You can focus on your Java code, leaving the SQL to JPA. The Spring Data JPA project extends these capabilities. It simplifies data management tasks by automating everyday operations such as creating, reading, updating, and deleting, or CRUD, operations. Ultimately, the framework minimizes the need for manual SQL writing. There are a lot of things you can get for free with Spring Data JPA. You gain access to methods like save, find all, and find by ID without writing their implementations. Setting up JPA with Spring Boot is made straightforward. By defining a few configuration properties, such as uh, data source information in an application YAML, or even as a beam, Spring Boot configures JPA automatically. Adding the necessary dependencies is all that's required to get you started. Another significant part of Spring Data JPA is its ability to write custom queries by defining a method name. If you define find by last name, Spring Data JPA will generate the SQL at runtime based on the method name. You can use annotations like at query to write your own SQL. In a nutshell, JPA significantly reduces the need for boilerplate SQL statements. Now let's look at the JDBC and the JDBC template. JDBC short for Java Database Connectivity, is an API introduced by Sun Microsystems in 1997 to allow Java applications to communicate with a wide range of databases. Before JDBC, database access was typically achieved through language-specific APIs, meaning database calls were inconsistent, cross platforms and languages leading to less portable code. JDBC was designed as a standard protocol, a set of rules that developers can rely on to interact with databases regardless of the underlying implementation. It creates a common ground for sending queries and updating data, all with the Java programming language. Before, base connections in Java environments often required vendor-specific APIs, which tied Java code to specific database implementations. This was restrictive and made changing database providers or supporting multiple databases difficult. The introduction of JDBC created a shift and database connectivity by abstracting the database interactions 
through standard sets of interfaces that Java developers could use to connect the databases, send SQL statements, and process results. This allowed for a more flexible and interoperable approach to database access, as applications no longer needed to be rewritten to work with different types of databases. JDBC provides a platform-independent interface for SQL operations, like establishing connections, executing statements, and handling result sets. Advanced features like batch updates, transaction management, and stored procedure calls are also supported. And so, by standardizing database connectivity, you as a developer can change the underlying database without significant code changes, provided the SQL code used as standard. Essentially, this helped Java's adoption as the need for data interaction and manipulation grew. One caveat is that there are some differences between databases and their SQL statements, such as Postgres and MySQL. So be sure to read up on those. In the context of Spring Boot, JDBC is still highly relevant. It allows developers to directly leverage the power of SQL and the relational model with control over every aspect of the database interaction. It's handy for legacy systems and complex queries that need fine-tuning beyond the scope of ORM tools. With JDBC, the developer is still in the driver's seat. This means attention to detail, especially when making complex SQL statements. Spring Boot streamlines the configuration of JDBC, on the other hand. By adding dependencies, developers can have a data source and connection pool ready, thanks to Hakari's uh, CP integration. So now let's talk about the JDBC template, which is a core class in Spring's JDBC framework that removes much of the boilerplate code required when working with JDBC and databases in Java. Firstly, it wraps and delegates to a primary JDBC data source object, establishing the actual connection with the database. This data source is configured separately from the JDBC template, allowing the database URL, username, and password, and other properties to be specified independently. JDBC template takes care of creating and releasing resources like establishing connections, preparing statements, and processing result sets, which minimizes repetitive code. Note that you can pass SQL statements as strings, but a Java class called PrepareStatement is a preferred method in some cases. Not all. It has a template method that relies on variable bindings instead of string concatenation when passing parameters. Um, so this essentially avoids SQL injection vulnerabilities by ensuring variables are appropriately escaped. One of the things that the JDBC template does is create and close resources. Handling resources alone can lead to major problems, especially if you forget to close your database connection. Spring Boot enhances this further by pre-configuring the JDBC template when it detects JDBC on the class path. When you add a JDBC dependency to your Spring Boot application, it auto-configures a data source and then it connects it to the JDBC template. With the integration of Hakari CP, a lightweight and performant connection pool, Spring Boot ensures that your database connections are managed efficiently, allowing quicker and more reliable database operations. Finally, the JDBC template integrates with Spring's exception translation mechanism. This means you'll be able to see your SQL errors if you have any. So, now let's talk about R2DBC. But before we dive deeper, it's important to do a small primer on reactive concepts like non-blocking code and back pressure. R2DBC stands for Reactive Relational Database Connectivity. It's a non-blocking database access protocol introduced in 2018 to bridge 
the disconnect between reactive web frameworks like Webflux and traditional blocking databases. R2DBC enables non-blocking database access for reactive streams. This allows us to maintain the reactive programming model in the database layer. For example, when fetching a user with R2DBC, you're returned a flux of users. This reactive stream emits users asynchronously as data becomes available from the database. And so integrating R2DBC into Spring Boot does require some initial configuration, but it then enables a seamless reactive stack throughout your application. Adopting this approach can demand a shift in mindset for developers used to more traditional patterns. Mastering reactive streams takes time. But for high-performance applications where efficiency and scalability are critical, R2DBC is a breakthrough technology. Under the hood, R2DBC leverages non-blocking I.O., reactive streams, to achieve its asynchronous non-blocking behavior. Rather than blocking and waiting for responses like in traditional databases, it uses callbacks to handle results as they become available. This allows it to efficiently manage multiple concurrent requests without tying up threads. On the other side, the Spring Data R2DBC project provides a familiar repository abstraction for building reactive database access. It handles the lower level of R2DBC interactions behind the scenes, so developers can focus on the repository interfaces like with Spring Data JPA or Spring JDBC. Spring R2DBC has all the CRUD and query methods like find by username based on method names. The critical difference is that it uses a non-blocking API to perform all the database operations reactively. This makes it easy to work with, um, without getting bogged down in the reactive programming details. Spring Data R2DBC handles translating the repository methods into asynchronous database calls, giving you the benefits of non-blocking data access with familiar Spring Data programming models. And best of all, it works with major databases like Postgres and MySQL. As we're wrapping up today's show, I want to share some exciting developments on the horizon. Over at my website, joshuamatos.com, we're gearing up to launch a series of comprehensive courses for anyone looking to sharpen their skills in Spring Boot, React, and the art of software engineering. The Spring Boot and React Essentials course is a particularly good one. Here, you'll get the chance to build a full-stack application from the ground up. It's a practical project based on learning experiences that covers everything from user registration to crafting a responsive UI. And it's designed to give you the confidence to tackle real-world software challenges. Our full Stack Force program is in the works for those who want to dive deeper. This isn't just about writing code, it's about understanding the software development lifecycle within a team setting. And let's not overlook Spring Security, it's crucial. That's why I'm putting together the ultimate Spring Security course. You'll walk through the fundamentals and explore core concepts like OAuth 2 and JWT. By the end, you'll know how to secure APIs, microservices, and full stack applications. This course will equip you with the skills to implement security best practices and effectively work with identity management providers. So if becoming a standout software engineer is on your to-do list, these courses are tailor-made for you. I aim to make you into the most awesome full-stack software engineer. Remember, technology keeps moving forward, and so should you. I'm here to support you on your growth and guide you on every step of the way in your software development journey. Whether it's building a top-notch application or landing your dream role as a software engineer, I've got you covered. Keep an eye out on my website and stay connected for these upcoming courses. 
They're set to transform the way that you engage with software development. And that's all from today's episode. I'm Joshua Matos. You've been listening to The Joshua Matos Show. Keep coding, keep creating, and I'll catch you on the next one.